Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 575 of the podcast and it is Sunday the 26th of September 2021 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking with Mark Leslie Lefebvre, my friend of a decade and now my co-writer for The Relaxed Author, which is out now in all the usual formats in all the usual places. We talk about how we split the writing and publishing roles, how we are very different in some ways, sometimes unexpected, even though our thoughts and ideas sometimes overlap on specific writing and publishing topics, how we use dictation for the first draft and why that was both useful and challenging, and how our principles for staying relaxed helped us with the book, plus some tips on being a relaxed author. So that's coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news this week, there are lots of interesting things happening, actually, in publishing that go beyond the sort of traditional model. So first of all, Netflix buys the Roald Dahl catalogue. As they say in a press release, these projects opened our eyes to a much more ambitious venture. The creation of a unique universe across animated and live action films and TV, publishing, games, immersive experiences, live theatre, consumer products and more. So if you, I mean, each of those things is a whole area. They do mention publishing. So presumably they, since they own the books, they can, Netflix can become a publisher of books as well as a creator of all this content. They also mention games. I mean, presumably they will then do other licensing deals. I think this is, this is so fascinating. And it is once more about intellectual property. And of course, what's interesting about lots of interesting things today, <laughs> Roald Dahl's works are very diverse. They have, you know, children's works, but they're all pretty dark. I mean, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is pretty dark. <laughs> but reading his short stories, his tales of the unexpected certainly shaped some of my early years. I still hear the plants screaming and see the little baby bee on the royal jelly. And I will always remember that leg of lamb. <laughs> and you'll know what I mean if you've read those stories. So they could have all kinds of fun with the uh, shorts as well as the full length stuff and do some of their the darker Netflix things as well as their animations for kids. And I can, I mean, there's so much potential for this IP. So yes, very interesting. And I think this will become part of the indie author movement at some point. We've talked before about estate management and in many people's minds, what they want is someone to come in and manage their IP, manage their book publishing, so that money continues to go to the estate. But actually, that is a complicated business, and it's not necessarily financially rewarding in the long run for, well, in the short run either, for either party. And it's quite a lot of work for what might be uh, not a great reward. So what I see as more possible is that small presses will pick up IP of 
dead indie authors as much as uh, dead traditionally published authors. Obviously, Roald Dahl's estate has now been purchased in one big lump. And this is happening. Musicians are selling this, obviously, before they die. There have been some really big deals about that recently. And in this way, I see that it's a possible model for indie authors. So Kevin J. Anderson's Wordfire Press has been picking up author estates. Mark Dawson's Fuse books have picked up a dead author estate. And uh, I think that will grow. And I don't think we, we can't be squeamish about inevitability of our end. But what's interesting with IP, of course, is it goes on after the death of the author. So at the moment, and of course, there might be websites, there'll be audio, there's loads of things that make up the package of intellectual property. So at the moment, I think unless you can organise your future estate in a way that it sort of self-manages. Most of us don't have family who want to be involved in running this business. (laughs) Really, they don't. So I think that selling the package of IP either before your death, if you want, or, or afterwards, putting it in your letter of intent to your family is actually quite a good idea. And I feel for me personally right now, if I if I die before I've planned this all out in more detail, then I would expect my family to try and sell my IP as a package. And I have a few ideas as to who they might try and sell it to. But I think that's what we need to think about. And I I believe that this will become a much bigger part of the indie author model over time. So yeah, something to consider. And maybe some of you are interested in buying IP and creating bigger publishing companies through buying IP. That is definitely what's happening. And as we know, the more books you have, the more you can link them all together somehow, the the easier it becomes. And uh, yeah, so interesting. And more news of traditionally published authors moving into ways to monetize their work outside of the publishing normal ecosystem. So Chuck Palahniuk, author of Fight Club, amongst other books, is using Substack for his writing advice, anecdotes about book tours, ephemera related to writing, his vision for the newsletter, writing prompts and topics for discussion, and a serialised novel, Greener Pastures, as reported by Lit Reactor. And uh, obviously, if you just search Chuck Palahniuk uh, on Lit- on um, Substack, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But I think that's really interesting. Uh, a few years back, there was a story that he had lost a lot of money due to one of the agents going bust. And so it's nice to see that he's able to monetize his writing in different ways. Also, Gillian Flynn, author of Gone Girl, Sharp Objects and more, as well as a screenwriter, has joined Zando, an independent publishing house, to start her own imprint, Gillian Flynn Books. So Flynn will acquire and publish fiction as well as narrative, non-fiction and true crime, as reported by the New York Times. It says, like Hollywood studios, mainstream corporate publishers are increasingly reliant on blockbusters to drive profits and have grown more risk averse when it comes to promoting new writers. These authors are struggling more than ever to find their audience in today's algorithm driven marketplace, which favours recognisable brands and books that are already selling. Zando will likely publish fewer than 30 titles a year and invest heavily in marketing those books rather than acquiring many more and hoping a few break out, as most corporate publishing houses do. I really like this. I think this is fascinating. It's great news and a model of influencer marketing and taste curation by bigger names in the industry, which is sort of the anti-algorithm approach. And they they are no doubt going to be inundated with <laughs> pitches 
Perhaps this is the way we will see publishing evolve again. Yes, there are the ever bigger corporate conglomerates owned by some of the biggest companies in the world. And then there are the indie authors and then there are the niche publishers. And some of those niche publishers are author driven. Some of them are authors grouping together. Some of them like, you know, Wordfire Press by Kevin J. Anderson are curated by authors. And so, yeah, I think this is this is so encouraging. We are book people and it's lovely to see the different ways that books are being used and IP is being used. We are not going away, creatives, <laughs> in a world of AI and metaverse and gaming and all these things where people's attention is taken by other stuff. All of it is still driven by words. So all of this really encourages me, to be honest. I feel, as ever, super positive about our future. So in my personal update, I finished the first major edit of Tomb of Relics this week, which is a hand edit on the whole printed manuscript. So essentially, I once I finished the whole thing on Scrivener, I print out the whole manuscript. It's the first time I've had the whole thing printed out. And then I read the whole thing and scribble all over it. It's a very, it's not a messy draft, but it's the what is the biggest one where I do all kinds of moving around and a sentence structure and adding things and changing things. And it is a, it's the biggest one. I don't call them rewrites. It's definitely an edit because this, the book is done, but it's still wiggly. <laughs> and I need to coalesce it into a better finished uh, product. So that's, I've hand edited the whole thing. I typed it all back up into Scrivener and now, and then I ran it through Pro Writing Aid, which fixes more stuff. And now I've printed it out again. It's now sitting on my desk as I record this. And uh, tomorrow, as this goes out, the, I will be back editing again, the full the full end to end. And I know when I'm happy with it because there'll only be a couple of marks on the on the manuscript. So, you know, if there's only like a couple of little things on each page, then it's ready to go. Uh, if there's still substantial scribblings and marks and this, I might have to redo that chapter. Sometimes it'll be like, right, I need to redo this chapter and that chapter and just give it another uh, go. But I definitely find that printing out the book and hand editing is the way that I prefer to do it all. So I'll do another round of hand editing, update it again in Scrivener, run it again through Pro Writing Aid, and then I'll send it to my editor. And it goes uh, next week to my editor. And it's around 32,000 words. So it is a novella. I'm really happy that I didn't stretch it out. I, I thought I was going to earlier on in the process, but I'm really happy with it, actually. I, I like it. I'm in that point with the with it where I like it again <laughs> which is always a good phase and then of course uh, I'm going to be working on putting together the video that I recorded while I was writing which was interesting and that will be part of the NFT which I will be talking about as uh as I get there. So the, with the NFT, I mentioned it last week, but there's a few platforms that are arriving and I'm still waiting to see what how this shakes out in terms of where to do it. So I will be doing an episode on that specifically. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Tyler Harrell on YouTube said, thanks for audio drama resources and tips, especially for adapting novels. And he said, I like the quote, you can start off however works best for you and learn as you go. And I think that quote actually applies to anything <laughs> in the writing space. Uh, as we come up towards NaNoWriMo, for example, uh, remember, you don't have to know everything about writing a novel or writing a book to actually just get 
get started. And you can figure it out along the way. It's the same with self-publishing, book marketing, any of this stuff. Podcasting. Look, I have a degree in theology. I don't have a degree in doing any of this stuff. (laughs) We just learn as we go. And Gary Swaby commented on the episode on audio drama, I recently got a job with a creative podcast production company, which is very cool, Gary. And actually, I have thought at some point about starting a podcast company and then I'm like, no, stop it. (laughs) Too many things going on. Gary says, I write the scripts for some of their programs and then the sound engineers handle the recording, editing and sound effects. It's a lovely writing job. And I think these kinds of jobs will be more common with the explosion in podcasts and audio dramas. Absolutely right, Gary. I'm so glad you can see this and that you have a job yourself in this area. I agree. I think that the more of the tools we have, the more we can work together with the tools, the more we will create. And that is pretty exciting. And then finally, thanks to Adrian, who emailed and said, you've convinced me to do something new. (laughs) I've been interested in the relaxed author after hearing both you and Mark talk about it. As soon as I saw the email on the relaxed author being available for sale, I clicked on the Amazon link as usual. Then I stopped. You've mentioned buying direct so often, I thought I'd take a look. I wasn't sure what to expect, but what a brilliant option. With the exchange rate, as I sell in US dollars and Adrian was buying with pounds, I think it was slightly cheaper. I use a Kindle, but I've been toying with the idea of getting a Kobo for ages. Buying direct, I get both Moby and EPUB and you make a higher percentage profit. Wins all round. I guess this also proves how those little mentions every week work. Thank you. I'm learning from you even in the process of buying one of your books. This has given me more incentive to set up direct purchase for my own books. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that, Adrian. And always super thrilled when people discover the empowerment of direct sales. And yes, money in your bank account immediately. And uh, the customer is happy. You're happy. Thanks to BookFunnel and PayHip for making this so easy. And as I mentioned, you can buy The Relaxed Author and in fact, any of my ebooks and audiobooks uh, at payhip.com forward slash the creative pen. And there are a couple of free ones for fiction and nonfiction if you want to try the process for uh, no money and you can see how it works. I'll also link to the tutorial in the show notes. So you might have noticed that today's show is sponsored by our new book, The Relaxed Author, available now in all the formats, in all the places and uh, direct from us. So do you want to be a more relaxed author? I hope the answer is yes. There are plenty of books and tips on writing faster, learning more marketing tactics and strategies, trying to maximise your ranking, hitting the top of the charts, juicing the algorithms and hacking different ad platforms. While these are all important things and both Mark and I have written and talked about them ourselves, it's also important to recognise that your author journey is a marathon and not a sprint. We've both watched authors burning out and leaving the writing life because they turned what they love into a hamster wheel of ever more production and marketing tasks they hate. But it doesn't have to be this way. This book is a collection of tips on how to be a more relaxed author and return to the love that brought you to writing in the first place. 
There are sections on writing, publishing, marketing and business. And as you'll hear about in our interview today, this discussion more than an interview, we wrote this in a way that retained our separate voices for the written text and the audio. We both narrate our own sections of the audiobook. So stick around after this interview is finished and I will play a chapter from the audiobook so you can have a listen and decide whether you'd like to purchase the audiobook edition which is now out on uh, Audible and and iTunes and all the different uh, audio platforms, as well as direct from me at payhip.com forward slash the creative pen. And you'll get to listen to that on the book funnel app. So yeah, check that out. So this type of sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show and my emotional energy (laughs) is supported by my patrons, wonderful patrons. Uh, Thanks to new patrons in the last week. Amelia Short, Karen, Liam Rooney, Christy Warren and Ellie Barker. And thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show on Patreon for months and years. You guys are fantastic. And of course, this week I did put out the Q&A, the Patreon only Q&A, where you can ask your questions and I will answer them. And I share a few personal things and behind the scenes and that kind of thing. For only a few euros or pounds or dollars a month, less than a coffee a month or a couple of coffees if you're feeling generous. So you can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T reon.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the discussion. I'm here with Mark Leslie Lefebvre, horror writer, publishing consultant, speaker and author of books for writers and my co-writer for The Relaxed Author. So welcome back to the show, Mark. Hey, Joanna. It's great to be here. So here we are, finally, we both have the book, The Relaxed Author, and it's actually very pretty. I'm, I'm quite pleased with it. Are you happy oh, with you it? know what? When Liz saw it, she, because she hadn't seen anything, she just heard me talking about I'm working on this book with Joe. And when she saw it, she went, oh my God, that is so gorgeous. That is mm. such a, your cover designer did such a brilliant job. Just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, good. Just, well, I'm glad you like it because I yeah. feel like it's difficult with co-writing. Well, there's lots of difficulties. We'll get into that. But yeah. let's go back to the beginning. How did we even come up with the idea for this book? I mean, it's not like we had other things going on and we were like, oh, this here's a surprise book. So when did we come up with that and why did we go forward with it? So was it was it back in March that I was being interviewed on your podcast? That maybe the episode aired in March or was it mm. April? I'm trying to remember how far it back was. It, a, was. it was a wide for the win. You came on to talk yeah. about wide for the win, basically, and I think we said yes. Going wide makes us more relaxed, and we started to laugh about how we were relaxed authors. And then we got so many uh, emails about it, and yeah. so I emailed you and said, "Hey, should we do the relaxed author?" So when I did email you and and ask you you already had a lot of books planned for this year so what were your feelings when I asked you that and when we're offered a project (laughs) or we come up with a project when should we say no when should we go for it well that's honestly that's that's one of our chapters in the book right we talk about the importance of saying no because there's so many great ideas you have to say no to and so many opportunities you make. Like, for example, you are very selective in in not just going and speaking anywhere, right? There has to be Mm. something, right? right? Maybe you can tie in, well, post or pre-pandemic travel to a place because you want to research it for a novel or something like that. But I think I remember saying, yeah, we could have some like easy listening music and smoking jackets and just be all called chill and relax. But your listeners responded in a big way saying, oh my God, I need that book. Mm. And, And it really... It, 
Yeah, I had a lot of projects already. I had four uh, other book projects between then and the end of the year that I, I had on my plate. I don't always get all of them done. Some of them are up for pre-order already, which causes stress, but also causes me to work better at it, which is part of how I work. But I think what happened is when that came and you emailed me, I had already been chewing on it because I saw those comments on Twitter and went, yeah, you know what? I think a book like that would be needed. Wouldn't that be, mm. wouldn't that be helpful? But here's the thing, and, and I want to throw this question back at you, Joe, because we I think we we agreed on it. Actually, so I, I immediately thought, oh, my God, this is a brilliant idea. We have to do this book. So I was in 100%. Let's do this. Uh, how about you? How did how did you reply to that? Well, it was funny because I was also feeling this is a necessary topic before we even came up with it. And we sh- I guess we should say that as well. There's a lot of stress in the author community. It's not just about the pandemic. It's also <laughs> about what almost what we don't want the indie movement to become. We don't want people to be burned out writing a book a month. And of course, if you do write a book a month, brilliant, go for it. If you love it and that's the way you work. And there are a small percentage of people for whom that does work. But for a lot of people authors are losing sight of the love of why they do this and are getting stressed around publishing, around marketing, around business. And and there's just a lot of angst. And we did a survey as part of this and we asked, what are you stressed about? And it was literally everything. (laughs) Oh my God. It was, it was, uh, and then there were things that that I forgot that I was stressed out about that I was reminded, oh yeah, that stresses me out too when I saw the survey. (laughs) Yeah, but it's and then it's funny because actually I'd had almost said I'm never going to co-write a book again <laughs> because I do find it quite difficult and we'll come to the challenges in a minute. But the other thing we should say about our relationship is that we've known each other for over a decade now online and we're going to have some photos in the show notes there'll be some photos of us basically when we first met in person I think it was 2013 at London Book Fair and then there was Toronto we hung out Charleston and Florida and all these different places over the years not not everything has like our karaoke shall remain forever without a photo but um, I wonder if anyone did take photos of that or hopefully no video (laughs) no but I think we sang Bon Jovi living on a prayer together we did. we did that was very fun uh did it as that a duet night. that was just r- remarkable creativity from the two of us right there with a little <laughs> bit of alcohol <laughs> exactly but I guess the point is that because we've known each other personally but also professionally now right. for so long uh that I felt like well we know each other well enough or I thought we did <laughs> before <laughs> and we'll get into some of the things that surprised us both but I felt like, yes, I can trust you. And this is a tip for co-writing, isn't it? I mean, trust is so important. If you don't actually trust the person you're working with, both creatively and financially, you're going to struggle. So I don't know how anyone could co-write with a complete stranger. I mean, I've co-written now with a number of people. Um, You do a lot more collaboration than me, actually. But what do you think are some tips for making sure it's the right partnership to even agree with at the beginning? Yeah, well, I mean, trust is a major factor because, I mean, you get this a lot, I'm sure. This is a common thing for writers. Hey, you're a writer. I have an idea. Why don't I give you my idea and we'll collaborate? You meaning you do all the writing because that's what you do. And I have ideas. (laughs) That's so cute. But I have uh, co-written with a number of people. And yeah, you're right. It was a thing I never even thought about. But it was, yeah, do I trust this person to actually uphold their end? 
And mm-hmm. and obviously there was no question uh, about about you because we've had such a long-standing uh, relationship, professional, personal relationship. We know each other. You know, it, it's just been playing catch up and, and our chats about uh, the industry. We're so aligned in so many of the ways that we think and feel about the industry in terms of long term, wanting to support authors and wanting to help people uh, become better at what they do and feel better about what they do. And yet, and, and you alluded to this earlier, and yet we we did discover that we have differences of the way we approach work. And it was intriguing that we fell into this really interesting set of roles that we both felt really comfortable in. So mm. had, for example, I taken over the, the project management of this, that would have stressed you out remarkably, right? It would have stressed me out too. <laughs> to to do that. So can we talk a little bit about how we ended up approaching this and then realizing, oh yeah, we, we are actually different in our approach, not, not just in our responses to the various questions that came up too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm partly an independent author because I'm a control freak and we all are to an extent. But I think possibly because I spent 13 years of consulting, possibly because it's just my personality type. But I do like to be in control. And you are very good because you essentially let me be in control. And I have been telling you what to do. But luckily, it we both know what to do. So it's not like I need to explain what these things are, but we should say up front, we do have a contract between us, even though we're friends, we have a contract because this is a joint copyright that will, you know, you're with Liz, I'm with Jonathan, but our marriages (laughs) don't last as long as copyright. (laughs) Actually, we should say that we, but in our document, we talked about what would happen if either of us died. I mean, we even went that far and I think that's important too even if your friends have an agreement so that was important and then I did take this primary organizational role and took the publisher role so the the book is published under Curl Up Press it's my cover design and my branding rather than yours so how did you find (laughs) let's just be brutally honest how did you find my project management and you're welcome to say whatever you like (laughs) So as you know, I work to deadline. When I have a deadline, when I have a commitment, when I know I need to get something done by a certain date, that is what motivates me. That's what kicks the muse into gear. That's what gets things. It's like, listen, there is no wishy-washiness here. You got to get it done. And so having you take that role relieved a bit of stress that I have. When I'm publishing independently, I have certain projects that have been on the back burners for years because like, yeah, I'll get to it one day. But knowing that somebody that I respect and admire and trust, trusts me in the same way, uh, is relying on me, that motivates me to get the job done, to to make sure I'm doing, I'm not just doing it because I need to get it done. I'm doing it because mm-hmm. I don't want to let Joanna down, right? So that was a, an important element of it. And the fact that you did that, it made sense for you to do it under Curl Up Press. Uh, Curl Up Press, for example, is, is a, well, let's be honest. There's no surprise here. Joanna Penn is a much larger more significant, world-renowned brands. And so is Curl Up Press in terms of what you've done in the author community. What is this the 13th book or the 15th book? Goodness knows at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I only have, uh, as of the time we started to write on this, I only had four books in my Stark Publishing Solutions series, you know, books for writers, similar, mm. similar uh, kind of feel. And then, of course, I had this other book in the works on the side that I was already planning when we discussed this. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing two books for writers this year. And I think having you in charge of that took a lot of the stress off of me. I actually Mm. felt bad 
that you were doing the extra work. You know what I mean? Like his mm-hmm. onus is on you. But I think you fell into that role and felt it more comfortable. Like, okay, now I know what's going on. And the way that you structured things, the way that we shared things was great. Like, because we still had to figure out, okay, so we had the contract, we had to figure out who's publishing and what were the logistics? How are we going to deal with the expenses? How are we going to deal with when the money comes in? Now, obviously, mm-hmm. you're using draft to digital for uh, a significant chunk of it in terms of the, the automatic royalty split, which means... Mm-hmm. Some of the payments are just going to come straight to me and straight to you, and we don't have to worry about it. But then I remember a discussion we had. I, I've always defaulted to my personal use of ebooks with a small e and a capital B. And so when we were going through each other's notes and the proofreading, I was like, well, we need to discuss these things. But again, it's curl up press, and we needed to stick to. So it gave us a very clear answer. Not, mm. well, you know, it wasn't just us butting heads. It was a clear answer. No, this is the style guide for Curl Up Press. And that's important. I mean, one of, one of the editors I work with, she does an amazing job of provides like a style guide mm. <laughs> that you can use in your series, which is just absolutely phenomenal. I was like, no, no, this is the style guide for Curl Up Press. So I'm going to stick with it. That's just, you know, when I work with traditional publishers too, it was no different. This is their, this is the way they want it done. So this mm. is the way I'm going to do it. It's professional. Yeah. Yeah, I think just coming back, you mentioned there we're using draft to digital. We're using that for the ebook. So we're using the payment splitting for the ebook, uh, but we're still selling the ebook directly through uh, mypayhip.com forward slash the creative pen. And then we're doing the print books separately through Amazon KDP print and through Ingram Spark. And with the audio book, we're wide with audio as well. So we're basically selling in every format in it on every platform, as is yes. our principle. But as you said, draft to digital does offer the payment splitting so we are using that but it's so funny because on the one hand I really appreciate it because yes you get money that is directly split and it's great for co-writing but equally I do feel that lack of control because (laughs) it's I don't I can't see that book on my other platforms like when I log into Amazon oh that's right yeah the sales is all coming through one platform yeah. Yes. And that's the first time that this has happened to me because I've only ever used Drafter Digital for my kind of smallish, smaller platforms. Right. So that was actually, that's been quite a... a cause stress a, for you. Yes, it has caused stress for me. But equally, I'm really glad we did it because I wanted to try it. And I do think one of the biggest overheads of co-writing is paying people. Not the first yeah. couple of months because there's decent money, but yeah. realistically... I basically will pay monthly for the first couple of months and then move to a sort of three month or even six months, depending on how long it's been, because it's not worth the time to, especially when you're wide, because 18 cents, Amazon, Mexico, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) I just, I just don't want to deal with that. So yes, so we did that. Let's go back to the actual writing process because what I discovered, what was it surprised me so much, is that you use Microsoft Word. You don't use Scrivener, and I was like, "What? Sorry, you don't <laughs> use Scrivener? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is going on with you?" And so I found that really weird that you didn't use Scrivener, <laughs> uh, and that I be- and I use Scrivener, and I use it to organize. So this was another thing right up front. You were like here's a spreadsheet with a table of contents. And I'm like, uh, I, don't do, I don't do that. It emerges. My table of contents emerges from the writing. And so how was that for you, the writing process of, we're quite different in that. I don't outline it at first. 
Yes, it, it's funny. Well, I, I don't outline either, especially in fiction. <laughs> but the nonfiction is a little bit different. But see, I thought you would have been so excited to have a spreadsheet because I'm like, oh, cool, because she's organized and I'm disorganized. So the fact that I have a spreadsheet is like, oh, my God, Mark actually does spreadsheets. So that's how I've done all of my other collaborations. Either Google Sheets is probably the easiest way where we just need to d- decide how we're going to, because typically we would divide up the chapters and say, okay, I'm going to do research and write this chapter. You're going to do this one. Maybe we co-write some of them, but most of the most of the time we just go off and do our things and then edit each other's work. And that's how we start before sending it to the publisher. Because I think almost all of my other collaborations, the majority of them were with a traditional publisher. So we each had to sign a contract mm-hmm. with the publisher. And and I, I kind of let it because I was the one who had been experienced with that publisher and had other books with them. And so what I often do is I'll, I'll create a spreadsheet and, I, and what I think is the outline I think we're going to do this. And as I'm writing chapters, I go in and go, no, I need to do another. And so I use that. And I know you use Scrivener in that way, where where you organize. Now, I I tried Scrivener and I had some challenges with once it gets from Scrivener to Word, because a lot of the books I had been uh, working on, either the editors I worked with independently or the editors of the publishing houses required a a manuscript in Microsoft Word with uh, track changes. And so for me, it was less stressful to go and use a different platform and then have to translate it and then just mm-hmm. go to Word. And and so for the most part, yeah, I just use Word and, and Excel if it's on my own, like on my own desktop mm-hmm. or a Google Doc if it's a, a collaboration. But I think mm-hmm. what I like about that is, but you were able to do the same thing. You just translated Scrivener to a format in a Dropbox folder that I could go in and see where we were. Yes. Well, well, let's say this was a big decision because, again, in the books we've co-written before, the two authors meld, like mind meld or in the edits become, or as you say, either write separate chapters or yeah. collaborate within a chapter. And what we've done, and this we went back and forwards on this, but what we've done is every chapter has you writing a section and me writing a section. Yeah. So that was, and I'm really happy we did that now. Yeah. The audio, but one of the reasons was for the audio book. And the audio book is brilliant. I've really enjoyed listening to it because I don't listen to my bits. I've listened to your bits. <laughs> but it's like, well, obviously I've proofed mine, but it was like having your voice and my voice. So for example, we have a chapter called Write What You Love. And I put my thoughts and you put your thoughts in the same chapter. And we do think similarly in many areas, but not all of them, but our separate voices come through both in the written word and the audio. So how do you feel this has turned out? Because it's, I think it's quite unusual, but I actually love it. I think it's great. Yeah, in in most of the other collaborations I did, and I imagine it's the same. There's the meld where uh, even I remember having this discussion with Shana on uh, Macabre Montreal. We took out any reference to I wherever mm-hmm. possible and tried to blend it so you couldn't tell who wrote it. Now there were obviously distinctions in voices, but we removed any personal stuff and and we talked about us anytime you had to refer to stuff like that. So when we made that decision, I thought, well, that's different. It's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. And there was some confusion. Mm. especially because of the way, and I think we can talk about the way we wrote this, I thought was also fascinating and interesting, but it reminded me when I think back to it and I was looking at the book visually, because I was like, how are we going to represent that? This is my voice. And while well, I just put Joanna colon or Mark colon, the audiobook is absolutely brilliant because mm. uh, 
yeah, it's very much, especially with the people who know us through mm. uh, oftentimes, I'm usually recognized when someone hears my voice and they go, oh my God, you're Mark LaFave. I heard you on Joanna Penn's podcast, <laughs> right? That's usually the reference most people have. And I think it's like, uh, and we've had this experience where we've sat mm. together on a panel mm. and a question comes out and we each answer it and they're somewhat complimentary and somewhat diverse or different in terms of the way we approach things. And I love the fact that what we're illustrating, which I think is an important message from this book, is that there is no one way hmm. to be relaxed, that we all have our own way. And it's kind of like you've got to get into your groove. And so we're going to show you that even though Joe and I agree and have a similar approach, we do have different ways of doing those things uh, or finding finding relaxation. Because again, we're not we're not relaxed authors. Right. Like, let's be honest, we stress out like anyone else, like it's human. <laughs> so to pretend it's like pretending that we don't have imposter syndrome, like, mm. no, it, it exists. And so does stress and anxiety. So, but how do you deal mm. with that? How do you curb it? So the voice, yeah, the voice thing is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, mm. Every time I look back at the book, I'm just so proud and so excited that we decided because it wasn't easy to do that. No, well, let's, you mentioned the, the way we did it. So just to, what we did was, uh, we did kind of brainstorm a list of topics that we thought, for example, well, we've had obviously the sections on relaxed writing, relaxed publishing, relaxed marketing, relaxed business. And then what we did is we got on Zoom and we talked about it. We did, I think, four four separate sessions yeah. where we recorded a discussion like this, basically, where and then we got the transcript. And then we divided it into your you and me. Because when I think when I learned that you worked in Microsoft Word I realized it was going to be very hard for us to co-write in the way that I'm used to doing it and also because of our different schedules and how busy things are and also as you time say zone. the way you yeah the way you write to deadline I don't think it's time zone because I did um Jay Thorne and I've done okay. different time zones it's more that I am far more I think I was way ahead of you in terms of I get things done earlier, whereas you work more to deadline. <laughs> and I was like, I you're like the flash, and I'm and I'm I'm just kind of wandering down the street. <laughs> yeah, you're you're very relaxed in your timelines, and I'm like, no, I want to get it all done. And actually, because I got COVID in the middle of this, and yeah. but luckily, I'd already finished. I'd basically finished. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 and that's and that's I think evidence why that works for you really, really well because. What if something happens? No, I've got mm. it done now. So, oh, I got COVID, so I can just be in bed for a week. And not do several weeks. <laughs> was it several? Yeah. But, but again, several. yeah, that was interesting. Had that happened to me, it would have been, uh-oh. <laughs> yes, yeah. and it's interesting because I I am much more relaxed by scheduling everything in advance, and I work way out from my deadlines, whereas right. you like to work too, you know, right up to a deadline yeah. so that's interesting but yes uh, the dictation it, there were pros and cons right because we paid for quite a lot of transcription yeah. it was just easier to get a human to do that but then it was quite a lot of editing so when you were editing uh, the stuff what did you feel did you rewrite a lot of it did it help I, I mean I go back and forwards on it I feel like it did keep our voices quite well but equally I did have to write quite a lot rewrite quite a lot <laughs> Yeah, I see. I did when I did an, an author's guide to working with the bookstores and libraries. It was based on two separate episodes of my podcast, almost an hour each. And I did take the transcription and I started from there and then I broke things down and then moved them around. So I'd done something like that already. 
Mm. I didn't realize that that's what I had done until we started doing it. And I realized, oh my God, this guy talks too much. It was the first thing. So I had to get to the point. And so that was an important element. But then also I realized I completely missed things in that first pass, like that Mm. first draft. I thought of that uh, dialogue as a first draft. So for example, when you talked about writing tools and you use Scrivener and you use Pro Writing Aid and you use this and you use that, I was like, well, I don't use any tools, I don't think. But then when I was editing that chat, I was like, you moron, are you kidding? You use tools like crazy. You have, uh, that was one of the other ones was a scribe count. When you talk Mm -hmm. about being stressed that you can't see your sales. Oh my God, I love that because I can go there and I can see I don't have to log into Amazon and then Kobo and then draft to digital and any of the other platforms. I can just go to one place and go, there it is. Took me five seconds. I can see where I am because it's pulling it right from each dashboard uh, automatically without, you know, so that, that was kind of cool. So I realized as I, that was one of the chapters that I think I had one paragraph. And then when I sent it back to you, it was like six pages. It was super long. That was actually yours. I mean, that's what's so funny. Some chapters you do go on and I'm really short and other chapters I go on and you're really short. So that was good. Yeah. Yeah, that, it was interesting to see that. But that, so how did you find that, that process? Had you ever done uh, writing in like that sort of original draft in, in audio first? Uh, I have done some stuff like that, like with Jay Thorne, for example. And I've also done my own nonfiction with Dictation First with the courses, for example, how to write nonfiction. I did the book and the course at the same time. And mm. but what's interesting is because we had a discussion and, and when you're having a discussion, you go, you interrupt each other and you're going back and forwards. And, and the transcription was quite funny because it was full of little asides and private jokes. And we just got off topic, which, <laughs> we, which we do. But which what was, was interesting, <laughs> yes, but what was good was that then what happened. So just to explain to people, you then got your bit, I got my bit, and I said, by this date, send me relaxed writing, your relaxed writing chapters. And then what I did was copy and paste your sections into Scrivener, which is was the master document. And then it emerged to me, the table of contents emerged, and then we realized we had missing things. So we actually ended up writing quite a lot of stuff we hadn't even talked about because it came up in the writing process, which is completely normal. And then, as you say, what happened when the Scrivener was full of both of our first drafts, then I exported it to Word, and then we used Dropbox. We've got a shared Dropbox folder where I put the whole thing and said, this is now yours, Mark. You have the master MS Word document, knock yourself out. So let's talk about the editing process. How did you go through that? Yeah, that was an intriguing process. I think there were moments where I got to a part that looked like it was attributed to me. And I said, there's no way I said something that brilliant that had to have been you. <laughs> because there, and it was funny because this does happen in, in co-writing is you sometimes can't remember if that's something you wrote or your co-author it, it, wrote. But it. you did write it, by the way. Yeah, you often and did it, but, write but it. But I was like, no, no, that sounds like Joe. That was really smart. And so, but but I think there are elements because of the way when we were interacting, I was talking about something and then you reminded me, you know, interjected and said, what about this? And I'm like, yeah. And and so the benefit of that dialogue, I think, helped us bring more things to the table. Uh, in terms of that process, that was... Uh, yeah, it was a little bit stressful when we were trying to figure out how, like I was still worried about the logistics of what it was going to look like and flow and how we were going to divide this up and how readers might, you know, I was, was worried about all those elements. But then once I got into it, 
once I sat down and once I started working on it, it started to feel better. And then I was worried about, well, our voices are, are very different, even mm. though we have a similar perspective. And then I was worried about that. And, and comparisonitis sets in, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm nowhere near as smart as Joe and, and, not, and not as eloquent in terms of it. So I, I worried about that and then just realized they can skip my parts if they don't like it, right? Or I, I, skip like, my not, parts, you know, yeah. or, or, or skip or, mine. Or, I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. But I, then I realized it's, that's just part of our uh, being our, th- our authentic selves. And mm. I, what I found was intriguing was just how much that comes out. Now, obviously, because I've, again, gone back and proof listened to the audiobook. It is so cool to hear to hear both our voices and to go, yeah, that's neat. That's interesting how we have a, a different take on the same topic. So mm. that, yeah, what a fascinating uh, process. Did you have any challenges with, with any of that as we were working through? Well, I think the the editing, obviously what's difficult with editing is, it, is we go backwards and forwards because so you, I did the first main draft, but I didn't touch your work. Well, I did a little bit of little bit of organizing or whatever but I didn't really touch it and then it came to you you did your big edit gave it back to me but then what I was basically doing was copying and pasting each chapter back in because you again you're editing well we both did an edit whereas we did the audiobook narration but because you were behind again behind me because you were busy with other things uh you were still on time according to our original plan but this is very much me I'll be like there's my deadline but I will still do it much much earlier to the date I I had set so I was a little bit frustrated that you were still sending me changes when I'd basically sent for print for print design because I, I I outsource you know I work with my designer to do a print design and I did have to give you like a final deadline and be like, uh, I'm not taking any more for the print. Yeah. <laughs> we are done. But obviously we can change. And the audiobook is based, the audiobook and the print are exactly the same. But the uh, ebook, obviously you can make some changes later because it's much easier to upload another file. Right. But it was like 99.99999% the same. But it was yeah. funny because I was like, well, I can't change that now. Enough. Like, stop it already. Because <laughs> I was going on a different deadline. And, and I, cause I, cause yeah, I think that the challenge was, I thought, oh, the best way, I know we did have a proofreader uh, look at it mm. and we had a proof mm. listener uh, yes, as well, right, which is fantastic. There's always more, there's always more stuff. Yeah. Right? And, but I, <laughs> it was the reading of the chapters. Cause I, I've noticed that before that it's in the read oftentimes with my fiction and my final proofreader is Scott Overton, <laughs> the, the audiobook narrator, because he finds stuff that everyone missed, which is kind of cool. So I thought, okay, so that's where I found it. And I did. I think I had about 20 or 30 changes of little things like that. Oh, that just sounds dumb when I say mm, that. And loud. it was completely <laughs> right. It was right. Yeah. <laughs> it was just the timeline, I guess, I was on. And so in terms of how we did the audiobook, just so people know, so we basically both recorded our sections. And this is where you did some of the, the heavy lifting is that I did my section, edited mine. We put all the audio files in the folder and then you did all the audio editing and mastering. So, uh, yeah. but you you were comfortable to do that. I mean, but that is some like some work. <laughs> yeah, that 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 process was, although the great thing about that process, so I could only do the narration of the audiobooks in certain windows and Liz was home. So mm. that was one of my challenges. Had she been like, she's at school now, right? So at work. So that'd be fine. I get the most of the day, so long as I don't have other meetings or whatever, I can just block off time. She's home doing construction right below me. I'm in like the garage is right below the office. So I had to negotiate with her on when I could do the recordings. The mastering, 
I could do that at any time, sitting down, headphones in. Like it doesn't require a, a quiet space where I have to hang curtains and stuff around my my space. I think what I liked was so I took them and then I, I copied them together and then tried to negotiate the the number of seconds between your voice and my voice, mm. the number of seconds between the title, and then we even had to negotiate who reads part one, who reads the chapter title, who reads the quotes because we have mm. so many quotes from brilliant submissions from the authors who what was it two hundred authors who yeah nearly um. Yeah, about 230 authors. And as we should say then, yes, we got permission for some people to have their quotes, but we read them and we had said, oh, well, maybe you read the male quotes and I read, and then we were like, no, we're just going to divide it. Whoever hits that does that. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're at the end of the chapter, then you mm. read that. And if you're at the beginning of the chapter, then you read the quote, if there's a quote that opens the chapter as well as. So it, it was interesting. And then also, you read the introduction and conclusion. It, it made the mm. most sense. It's also, you got to remember, this is Curl Up Press, right? So this is a mm. Joanna Penn book with Mark Leslie. <laughs> Although I think, I think you had more airtime because, as you said, you tend to be more wordy. <laughs> so I think you actually had more of the, the number of minutes in oh, total. Oh, I'm sure I do. I, it, I, yeah. I'm also a man, right? So it shut me up. <laughs> But no, I really, I do. I mean, if people, well, people are listening to this, so we would like to recommend the audiobook because we really like it. And that yeah. is what I think is interesting about it is that's the main reason in the end we decided to do it this way because we both have voice brands, we both have podcast audiences. And it was like, well, how do we retain that? And then working backwards, if we want to do this audio product, how do we? put that into the writing product, the written product that reflects how we would do the audio because neither of us wanted to just do you read a chapter, I read a chapter because that doesn't re reflect our thoughts. So yeah. I'm actually really pleased with it. And I think to me, this is how I would be happy co-writing again in the future because I actually feel that I can say, you, it's very obvious which bits are mine and which bits are yours. Yeah. And therefore, and it was easier to write that way than it is to try and mind meld or word meld. Oh, for sure. And and that's why I, I neither of us have traveled. I think the last time we saw each other was probably in Vegas, probably just oh, a yeah, few months yeah. before the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. With Dean and uh, Chris at the WMG workshops i remember going out for coffee with you and sitting on panels together and, and i think i have a selfie i've got to throw that into the the mix for the images of the selfie you were talking on stage and i was trying to take a selfie and then you looked over and smiled while you were in the middle of talking. oh yeah i want to see that one yeah <laughs> brilliant i love that but i think that's one of the things i love so much about this book is because i am an introvert like you i'm fine on stage but i do need uh, that time and I, i've had more than enough time to decompress by myself so it was so good because it almost felt like we were hanging out together. Hmm. And when I listened to the audiobook, it felt like it could have been the two of us sitting on stage answering questions on a panel and smiling at one another and listening and nodding while the other one's speaking, or sometimes going, Oh, huh, really? Really? <laughs> you use word, <laughs> right? That so I thought that was kind of fascinating, uh, that whole process. So yeah, I am so pleased. As a matter of fact. Hmm. Um, realizing just how much fun I had doing the audiobook with you uh, has inspired me to go back and do because I, I I only have one of the audiobooks for my nonfiction for writers and I realized hmm. well that's dumb yeah. uh, I actually had a, a, a mastermind <laughs> group that I'm part of and they said really why don't why don't you have the other audiobooks 
because if people like this, then maybe they're going to want to check them out. And if they're not available on audio, guess what? They're not going to get. Mm. So it's inspired yeah. me to, to kind of, well, to put more work on my plate, but I'm not stressed out about it. Well, that's good. That I think that's really good. So let's just talk about the uh, publishing and marketing. I mean, obviously, we've mentioned how we're doing the publishing, uh, the and it's under my name. So most of the money is coming into my bank account. Yay. And then I'm obviously going to run away and just spend it all. No, I will be uh, paying you as, as we go through. But the marketing, so we've already started marketing. Obviously, we've talked about it on our shows and we started doing things and we've basically decided that the marketing costs we will just pay for ourselves. So giving books away, ads, that kind of thing, it just becomes too hard to manage. So we've essentially settled up with production costs and then going forwards, we'll just do what we do and split it 50%. And again, that's part of trust. Part of the writing and publishing is like, sure, but that's up to when it goes out and then it's the marketing. And we just both have to trust that we will both market this book. Um, So, but let's talk about our relaxed approach to launch because I feel like... It's really funny because I'm going away. I'm going to be away on the day it all goes live. Uh, So what will you be doing at launch? I'm going to be away too, actually. (laughs) I was supposed to be in Nashville for the Career Author Summit with... Well, uh, so was I originally, but... Yeah, yeah. Jay and Zach. And oh my God, I'm so... I'm verklempt that I can't be there because I love those guys. And I really wanted to be at the Career Author Summit. And it's just a more intimate group of really fine people. Uh, I really enjoy hanging out with. And I, I, I'm obviously travel is just too challenging right now to get there mm. in terms of the being isolated and having to quarantine when you get back and stuff. So I'm still still trying to work that out. So it was a really tough call. So I was supposed to be there anyways, which would have been cool. Hey, because we were both supposed to be there at one point in time, but then you can't leave. <laughs> you can't even fly into North America. I'm going up to my mom's to, to help her get things ready for the fall. So it, she doesn't even have Wi-Fi. I, the only way I can get on Wi-Fi is if I jump on a borrowed Wi-Fi from the neighborhood of someone who hasn't locked their Wi-Fi down, which thank goodness for the last 10 years has been fine. <laughs> Until that neighbor moves away, I'm not going to have Wi-Fi when I go up there. But I'll have to pre-schedule some things. I have a publicist as well. So Nikki is working on a press release. So he'll be doing some of that where he he sends it out to a bunch of different media. And obviously we have, uh, fortunately, you're going to be away. I'm going to be traveling as well. So we can schedule, right? We can schedule Mm -hmm. social media. We can schedule email blasts. We can schedule things. But I'll probably be, I, I guess what I think is like, yeah, the book launches on September 18th, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we're, we're going to be sitting there glued to our dashboards going, oh, how's it selling? How's it selling? Not, not at all. And that I think that's why I wanted to mention. I mean, essentially what we're both going to do is there will be an email that we send to our email lists. We're both, we'll put this uh, version of this out on our podcast feeds. Yeah. We will put the video up on our YouTube channels and we will schedule some social media links. And that is about it. I mean, you said like yeah. you're going to do a press release. doesn't mean anything, to be honest. Like, No, no, it's out. just it's just one of those things you do that may get some things to pick it up might get something but I don't I never do that and I think again part of this is and one of our tips is to think long term and never to be obsessed actually about the launch and it launches a very traditional publishing thing like when the books go into a physical bookstore and then they leave again whereas for us it, this is an evergreen book, actually. This right. is very much a, a more of a mindset book. Yes, it's got practical tips, but 
we we're not obsessing about September the eighteenth, twenty twenty one. I guess. I mean, hopefully, yeah. people are listening to this in the years to come, and find it useful in years to come. And that is a relaxed approach to launch and marketing. And all of our books link to other books. You know, the other books, and so part of it is having a similar brand for nonfiction that will just keep help selling each other's other books as well. So it becomes part of the ecosystem. But this. Yeah, I don't think either of us have stressed about launch. (laughs) You know, it's really funny when you talk about, yeah, traditional publishing, it's the launch, it's the first month or two in bookstores, and then that's it. Ironically, you would think the indie author community would say, no, I I reject that. Mm. But the indie author community in many ways is all stressed about the launch. (laughs) And and okay, on launch day, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do that. And it's like, ah, that scares me. I I have too much other things to worry about and do. (laughs) It's like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to write it. It's going to be the best book I can. I'm going to get it out there and and we'll see what happens. And again, not see what happens. Obviously, we strategize and we plan things out. But I think I love the fact that neither one of us is obsessed and freaking (laughs) out. That, right about this it's kind of like okay it's out I've emailed my mm. people I let people know I'm going to share it I'm going to probably share I think even some outtakes from this video would be hilarious and I think maybe having fun with it too mm. uh, I, I even think um, highlighting how there were moments where we weren't relaxed would kind of be an intriguing way of of marketing <laughs> the relaxed author is like admitting yeah we're not always all we're not always with you know yes we're going to help you but we're mm. going to admit that we're human too. and, and Yeah, absolutely. And we do say that in the book. It's not like we're all Zen and never stressed. That's not true, obviously. But what's so interesting, I think this has become even more clear to me because of having COVID. And I really was in bed for two weeks. And then after the two weeks, I was able to do a little more each day. But it was at least a month, kind of five weeks of just being well below my capacity. And what I realized is, okay, I can only do one thing a day with the amount of energy I have. And when I thought about the principles that we've included, I re- and in fact, I made probably more money that month than I have other months of the year because I was able to pull some levers within my business that meant I could essentially, well, it wasn't really relaxing, but I didn't have to work. And that was a, I haven't, I haven't done that like ever. I, I'm hardly ever sick, you know, really not yeah, very sick. Yeah. Yes, I take some breaks and holiday occasionally, but it felt like, oh my goodness, I, I actually can be more relaxed about my author business at this point because of the principles that we've gone through. So we've talked about some, we both said the long-term mindset is very important, both for the business, but also the writing. And to come back and say, I still want to be doing this. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to give up writing. I want to have the long-term view. That is one of the principles that, you know, is important to both of us. And partly we wrote this because you've been doing this 20 plus years and I've been doing this. I've been full-time for over a decade. I've been writing for 15 years. So we've seen people crash out because they're so stressed they can't do it anymore whereas we're still here (laughs) yeah yay (laughs) look at us go (laughs) we're still here but I think the practices that we talk about help us stay like we're still here because we have these practices rather than the sort of super super stressed way you can be stressed for a short amount of time as you hit a deadline but you cannot be stressed all the time or you'll you will give up and just get a normal job right 
Yeah, like that. That's like a mental breakdown. That is a you know, it's not good. Even even good stress, even happy stress, right? Even like, hey, it's number one, or hey, we're doing whatever. I, I know it sounds silly, but it's like having that high all the time is not necessarily a good thing. So I, I think one of the things I loved about this process is there were so many things that we pulled out of ourselves for this book that I didn't realize until we had the conversation and started thinking about it. And it's only after thinking about it that I reminded myself some of the things I'd forgotten along the way. And that was just such a, I mean, it's funny, like books in many ways, fiction or nonfiction are are therapeutic for me. Mm. (laughs) It's a story I have to tell and I'm not going to feel good until I tell the story or I need to exercise these demons or I need to express this feeling I have. And this book in a very significant way was, was therapeutic for me. I'm so glad we did it because as I was, and again, just because lately, you know, when we got stuff back from the proofreader and I went back and I was listening in again with the proofreader's notes, which is fantastic, by the way, a great guy. And that just really brought it home to me in, in a way that I don't think, uh, I don't think uh, I've had that experience on, on previous either collaborations or even previous books that I've written because of the multi-layered way we had to go back and forth. I couldn't just make a decision. For example, I couldn't just make a decision. Mm. I had to make the decision with my co-author in turn, right? Because of the structure or whatever. So yeah, just, yeah. Long-term thinking and, and just remembering the things you learned along the way, like pausing to actually acknowledge some of those things. Cause we forget about those things and we, mm. and we, and we don't take the time to appreciate, appreciate those experiences we've had. Yeah. And then I guess we should say like both of us obviously have other books for authors and you could say that all of the things we've said are in all of our books in some way. I feel like the difference here is that we have brought it all together under the sort of relaxed angle. So for example, under relaxed marketing, we're not going to tell you how to do anything. We're talking more about the attitude towards it and some of the decisions we've made I also do want to say that we have acknowledged for example we've said um, publish wide or don't because sometimes it is more relaxing to be exclusive we absolutely know that so I I want people to realize that we're quite inclusive in the way that we're doing or for example social media choose social media that works for you or don't do it at all (laughs) exactly because if it doesn't work for you then why would you Yeah, no, I love that inclusivity. And and it's kind of funny you mentioned that because, yeah, when I was looking at this book, there's so many elements of things I've already said on my podcast. You said on your podcast, shared in books, said when you're being interviewed anywhere. And yeah, none of, ironically, like none of the stuff that I put in the books is not stuff that I I don't already give uh, to the community anyways. The whole idea is like we're collecting it and outlining it in a very packaged way that's concise so you Mm. don't have to scramble to go find all these bits and pieces uh, which which should be more relaxed (laughs) exactly so I guess as we come to the end of this we we really hope this helps because I mean this isn't pandemic about the pandemic but the pandemic has added a lot of stress for people and we hope that like your author life should not be 
the stressful bit. Your writing should be where you go for comfort and solace and working things out. And your writing should be where you run to when you are stressed. And it shouldn't be the thing that stresses you out. And there's any stress you do have should be short term. So we really hope that um, the relaxed author is going to help you. You can find it on all your favorite platforms in all your favorite formats. And if you don't, then you should just email one of us and we will make sure it gets there you can also buy the ebook and audiobook direct at payhip.com forward slash the creative pen and of course we make more money if you buy direct from us <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and do that but is there anything else you wanted to say as we wind up mark i just want to remind authors of the reason what probably drew them into writing in the first place was passion and the enthusiasm and excitement i'm hoping that uh, they can find, like we have found and rediscovered, they can rediscover, rekindle that passion, that enthusiasm for what drew them to storytelling and writing in the first place. And Mm. hopefully this book will help them. So thank you, Joanna, for this amazing experience of getting to write this book with you. Oh, and thanks so much for your time today, Mark. That was great. Part one, relaxed writing. 1.1. Write what you love. The pandemic has taught us that life really is short. Memento mori. Remember, you will die. What is the point of spending precious time writing books you don't want to write? If we only have a limited amount of time and only have a limited number of books that we can write in a lifetime, then we need to choose to write the books that we love. If I wanted a job doing something I don't enjoy, then I would have remained in my stressful old career as an IT consultant when I certainly wasn't relaxed. Taking that further, if you try to write things you don't love, then you're going to have to read what you don't love as well, which will take more time. I love writing thrillers because that's what I love to read. Back when I was miserable in my day job, I would go to the bookstore at lunchtime and buy thrillers. I would read them on the train to and from work and during the lunch break. Anything for a few minutes of escape. That's the same feeling I try to give my readers now. I know the genre inside and out. If I had to write something else, I would have to read and learn that other genre and spend time doing things I don't love. In fact, I don't even know how you can read things you don't enjoy. I only give books a few pages and if they don't resonate, I stop reading. Life really is too short. You also need to run your own race and travel your own journey. If you try to write in a genre you are not immersed in, you will always be looking sideways at what other authors are doing, and that can cause comparisonitis, when you compare yourself to others, most often in an unfavourable way. Definitely not relaxing. Writing something you love has many intrinsic rewards other than sales. Writing is a career for many of us, but it's a passion first, and you don't want to feel like you've wasted your time on words you don't care about. Write what you know is terrible advice for a long-term career, as at some point you will run out of what you know. It should be, write what you want to learn about. When I want to learn about a topic, I write a book on it, because that feeds my curiosity, and I love book research. It's how I enjoy spending my time, especially when I travel, which is also part of how I relax. 
If you write what you love and make it part of your lifestyle, you will be a far more relaxed author. It's common that writers are drawn into storytelling from some combination of passion, curiosity, and unrelenting interest. We probably read or saw something that inspired us, and we wanted to express those ideas, or the resulting perspectives that percolated in our hearts and minds. Or we read something and thought, wow, I could do this, but I would have come at it differently, or I would approach the situation or subject matter with my own flair. So we get into writing with passion and desire for storytelling. And then, sometimes along the way, we recognize the critical value of having to become an entrepreneur, to understand the business of writing and publishing. And part of understanding that aspect of being an author is writing to market and understanding shifts and trends in the industry and adjusting to those ebbs and flows of the tide. But sometimes we lose sight of the passion that drew us to writing in the first place. And so writing the things that you love can be a beacon to keep you on course. I love the concept of do something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And that's true in some regard because I've always felt that way for almost my entire adult life. I've been very lucky. But at the same time, I work extremely hard at what I love. Some days are harder than others, and some things are really difficult, frustrating, and challenging. But at the end of the day, I have the feeling of satisfaction that I spent my time doing something I believe in. I've been a bookseller my entire life, even though I don't sell books in brick-and-mortar bookstores anymore, that act of physically putting books in people's hands. But to this day, what I do is virtually putting books in people's hands, both as an author and as an industry representative who is passionate about the book business. I was drawn to that world via my passion for writing, and that's what continues to compel me forward. I tried to leave the corporate world to write full-time in 2018, but realized there was an intrinsic satisfaction to working in that realm, to embracing and sharing my insights and knowledge from that arena to help other writers. And I couldn't give that up. For me, the whole core, the whole essence of why I get up in the morning has to do with storytelling, creative inspiration, and wanting to inspire and inform other people to be the best that they can be in the business of writing and publishing. And that's what keeps me going when the days are hard. Passion is the inspiration to keep going. There are always going to be days that aren't easy. There will be unexpected barriers that hit you as a writer. You'll face that mid-novel slump or realize that you have to scrap an entire scene or even plotline and feel like going back and restarting is just too much. You might find the research required to be overwhelming or too difficult. There'll be days when the words don't flow or the inspiration that initially struck you seems to have abandoned you for greener pastures. Whatever it is, some unexpected frustration can create what can appear to be an insurmountable block. And when that happens, if it's a project you don't love, you're more likely to let those barriers get in your way and stop you. But if it's a project that you're passionate about and you're writing what you love, that alone can be what greases the wheels and helps reduce that friction to keep you going. At the end of the day, writing what you love can be a honing, grounding, and centering beacon that allows you to want to wake up in the morning and enjoy the process as much as possible, 
even when the hard work comes along. For me, relaxation comes from writing what I know and love and trusting the emergent process. As a discovery writer, I experience great joys when the story, characters, and dialogue simply emerge in their own time, in their own way. It feels wonderful. Valerie Andrews Writing makes me a relaxed author. Just getting lost in a story of my own creation, discovering new places, and learning what makes my characters tick is the best way I know of relaxing. Even the tricky parts, when I have no idea where I'm going next, have a special kind of charm. Imogen Clark. So I hope you found the discussion with Mark interesting and also that you enjoyed the chapter of the audiobook. You can find The Relaxed Author in all the usual formats in all the usual places and you can buy the ebook and audiobook directly from me at payhip.com forward slash the creative pen, which means we get more money and you also get the product and you understand how selling direct helps a creative entrepreneur be more relaxed. <laughs> So next week, I'm talking about mystery with Jonah Lehrer and how we can use principles of mystery to make our books unputdownable, regardless of genre. So happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>